caught offside with Andrew Gunling and J.J. Devaney. Oh, yes. Caught offside from the Upper West Side of Manhattan. Andrew Gunling, J.J. Devaney, a bonus podcast this week. What's up, brother? I'm good, man. How are you? I'm doing well. Surprise. Surprise podcast. We didn't tease this at all. No. uh, I'll be honest. I'm as surprised as anyone. Because I demanded it. It was one of JJ's demands. Look, it's one of the great things about you. It's also one of the insufferable things about you is is your relentlessness. When you want something, you are persistent and you are relentless. Correct. And oftentimes it gets things done. Oftentimes it it destroys relationships. I... I I th- well, that's true. I think it's worth notice- noting, though, that uh, the people want it as well. It's not just me. I didn't get a single message from anyone. Plenty of messages. Midweek pod? I Plenty. didn't see any Plenty. of those. But you ignore. You hate the working man, the common man. <laughs> Another myth perpetuated by... Not a myth. Factual. The fake news media. Uh, we're one, one quick thing that only became a problem for me moments ago when I first saw you walk in here. Oh. So we're supposed to have this like little mini photo shoot after we record yeah. this podcast today, which is nice. Yeah. So I texted you last night. I guess I said basically, hey, wear something that would be good for this. No, 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 no. And so no, you no, have no, no. rolled in. Liar! Let me what find... you said was wear something you like, I guess. So I thought soccer podcast, I wear my Paul McGrath t-shirt. Well, Whereas you had... come dressed, but like as I you always do. A button down shirt. Button down, middle management, insurance salesman. Well, we've had two of these before, and each time we've been told essentially to like I didn't think it needed to be said. Now, how Don't ridiculous care. are we going to look? Don't care because otherwise, what's the point? We what, have to reschedule. What is the point? Well, you can't have you wearing that shirt with me wearing a normal button down. It looks ridiculous. No, it doesn't. We're no, not it doing doesn't. it. I'm going to tell Scopin right now that we're going to reschedule for another no, day it doesn't because you look, can't follow simple why? instructions. So I have to be. We have to be uniform. Yes. And, and by the way, we're doing it for photos that we can sign. There's a couple of fans have requested signed photos, which is more I mean, than a couple thousands, even. which is just a boost my ego did not need. But um, so we're doing this shoot, uh, uh, so we can have photos that we can sign. Right. That's it. It's not a vanity project. It's just so we can give something quickly away to, to people who want them. We're going to reschedule. I want, I want every one of you to request one now. To, but the point being is, if we like, if you were to hand somebody a photo mm-hmm. of just us, no branding on it, just us wearing button-down shirts, what would you think? You'd think, oh, that's a big rival to Salino and Barnes. The insurance lawyer people, Have accident people. Have you actually people. lost your mind? No, we are two white guys. When we wear shirts, we are bank managers. We are middle managers. We are corporate guys. We're nothing. Why would Look, we not do fu- something football related? Why would you not have told me that beforehand so I could have followed suit? Every time we've done this before, we've been told to wear button-down, normal, static color shirts. You said wear you something you like. You should have said to like. me, if, but like... But previous photo shoots indicate that this is what we've always been told to do. If you were going to go so far out of the out of the realm of what we've been told to do before, you got to tell me. This I look is ridiculous. To, now you don't look. It's a nice, we're not doing it. We'll do it next week. Are you serious? A hundred percent. A hundred percent serious. Oh yeah. I'll wear a t-shirt. I don't have any problem with you wearing a t-shirt. I just think it'll look ridiculous if I'm bank manager week. and you are cool guy. <laughs> it's just a t-shirt. It's. You even said yourself that we look like bank managers if we come in if with... We, and now, so you can't spin it as no big deal now. Wear it again next week. I don't care. By the way, there's nothing wrong with being a bank manager, per se. If you're in the middle of Iowa and you're a middle... I see what you're doing. What? You're desperate 
to push the narrative that I am the complete geek no. and you are cool no, and I'm hip. Not, I've never And you're cool. desperate for these photos to go out that, that paint that image. <laughs> We're not doing it. And I'm going to find the coolest thing that I could possibly own uh, for, for next week. Or we could just start the podcast we should have started years ago. The Ordinary a- White Guy Podcast. It was distressing when you walked in here. Was it really? I, you took your coat off, and I said, "Oh my God, he's he's wearing that." I have a shirt in my office in Midtown. I can go get one. You're not going back to your office and coming back again. All right, come on. All right, uh, let's start out with some of the uh, the midweek action that we've been called in here to discuss. That I have proclaimed must be discussed. Yeah, to serve your ego and placate your Liverpool supporters. Not actually. Nothing not. unusual really happened yesterday. Liverpool destroyed a team in crisis and you need to pound your chest no. and talk about it because your people want to hear it. Listen, if you're going to be arsy for this whole podcast, mm-hmm. I'm going to leave you sitting here in your shirt and you can talk about loans and mortgage rates and everything else that you're bursting to talk about. This is not why I'm doing it. By the way, we got a complaint this morning. I woke up at 6.30 and my phone, there was a notification and some guy goes, you don't talk about the lower leagues anymore. I'm like, yeah, you don't, I I, and you don't talk about the bottom half of the Premier League anymore. And I'm like, yeah. oh, well, I just said that news dictates things. So, you know, Mourinho going to Spurs is going to take up a lot of our bandwidth. But Everton are in the relegation zone. But, but, I think we talked yeah, a, fair about, a fair amount about them. Right. I think this is important kind of to talk about Everton right now because um, it was jarring yesterday to see it. I knew, because I'd seen enough of them this season, I've watched them about full games of theirs about three or four times, which is, a, that's a lot of a bad team. And there was always moments where they were in games and they usually shot themselves in the foot or they just weren't very good. But seeing them against Liverpool's second string attack and seeing Liverpool cut them open so easily, balls over the top, Diagonal balls. Now, Liverpool make better teams than Everton look bad. But Everton, I feel, kind of helped themselves. The way that Silva set the side up, Andrew, was, okay, it was ostensibly five at the back. He played with three centre-halves. And, okay, you're going to be tight. You're going to be compact. No, they were actually wider and more open than ever before. Now, Liverpool's runs from deep are tough for most midfields to stop. Everton didn't even get close to doing it. Like, really, you're wondering if if Salah and Firmino had started and the midfield had been changed a little bit, would this game have been 7-0 at halftime? Well, I think that's actually unfair to the performances you got from Shakiri and Origi. I, 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 I don't I'm, think Firmino and Salah could have come in and done much better than those guys no, that's did. Fair. That's fair. That's fair. Look, um, when I'm watching that, especially the the second goal, the Shakiri goal, because mm. uh, I even texted you afterwards because he scores the goal, and you can tell that Everton are in complete and total disarray, and every member of the back line is just looking is around, looking at one another, and pointing and like hands on hips, just perplexed. Like, and I'm thinking about where fault lies in that because, like, like you said, if they're going out there with five in the back. Like Marco Silva is clearly telling them to be, I would think, to be compact and to not let Liverpool sneak right. in behind you. And so then I see this quote from Mason Holgate after the match, uh, and he's basically asked how much blame the players take. And he said, "We t-, and, and look, he kind of has to say this, but 
I actually believe what he says here. He says, we take pretty much all of it. The manager has told us what we need to be doing, and we have not done that. We played well in patches of the game, but route one balls are things we should be dealing with, and we have not done that. But like, he, Marco Silva is going to take all the blame, and he's going to get fired. Like that, the writing is on the wall. But these players are culpable because things like what you saw with that second goal that Shakiri scored uh, to make it two 0 like that's embarrassing defending. And Marco Silva is not telling them to play like that. Yeah, and and you know you're right because when when Manny gets the ball and he's he's facing Sidibe. He goes inside, and the idea of bringing him inside is the right thing to do, but he's supposed to go into traffic, and there's no one there. And we can talk about systems and we can talk about tactics, but I'm actually coming around to the opinion that basically what Holgate is saying, it's on the players, but further that, the players aren't good enough. Mm -hmm. You know, I can't think of a team really that would require... Michael Keane's not a good enough centre-back to be at Everton or to be where Everton want to be. Yerry Meenan really isn't either. And really what it comes down to is something that I thought was very interesting. It was written by uh, JJ Bull, actually, which sounds like somebody... on a see that being like your porn name. A burner account or something. Um, he wrote this in The Telegraph. No matter how smart a tactician or talented a coach... Silva has lost his momentum. The fans have lost faith and the players are being beaten by better ones. Which is where the fundamental issue lies. Expectation and desire versus reality. This is a hodgepodge of players brought together by three managers now. And they're just not good enough. Yeah, that's part of the problem. If Silva, by the time you're listening to this, he might be out. Um, well, Mosh, Moshri is in... their meeting. Yeah. Like, as we speak. Well, what's that meeting going to be? The owner's going to be there. Hey, can you turn it around? Yes. I don't think he can. Oh. Well, I, I think now it's a matter of timing. Like, do we want to do this now? Or, like I've said repeatedly over the last couple of weeks, do we want to wait? Like, they played Chelsea this weekend. Is that the right time to, like, just kind of throw everything into even an even greater state of flux? But if Silva is sacked, he'd be the fourth man to suffer that fate since Mashiri bought a share of Everton in uh, February of 2016. Roberto Martinez, Ronald Koeman, and Sam Allardyce. Like like you said, that we talk a lot on this show about the importance of stability. And Everton right now have been sucked down this rabbit hole of instability. And it's it's showing. Especially because like when you lose a Lukaku and you want to then take that cash and spend it on a variety of players, well, like that's all fine and good. But then if you start firing managers who bring in that many new players like clearly that guy is bringing those guys in because he's got something in mind and then you fire that guy but and so what are you left with it, it was it was interesting though to see the the second goal that they got I think Michael Keane's goal was a good finish for a center back but still like a fluke but the the second goal was actually a good move and I looked at it and I thought there is there is something because I oscillate between the two points this is a hodgepodge of players but if you look at the the move they put together, you're like, maybe maybe there is something in this team. And this manager, or a manager, can get more out of them than they're getting. Now, that remains to be seen. Well, well for, I agree with that. Like, you know, maybe some results have been harsh on Marco Silva. But ultimately, this Everton team, player for player, is not a relegation team. No. And they're in the drop zone if the season ended today. So... Yeah, in that sense, he is not getting the most out of these players. Isn't it? But, but he's also, you know, not to make excuses, everyone deals with this, but Everton don't have a ton of depth. So when you go out and bring in a Delph 
or uh, a Jean-Philippe Gibamine. You know, I, I know Andre Gomez has been there, but like those are three key injuries to three probable week-in, week-out starters. That's you, a lot. That's a big hit for the, a club like Everton to take. It's amazing to think that they've absorbed the loss of Lukaku in the last few years and also absorbed the loss of a... Well, they haven't absorbed it. Idris Aganagate. I mean, those are two Huge. key positions. And they've had to take that. And they've never replaced the goals. And they haven't really replaced, so far, that midfielder. Um, they're, in a ba- they're in such a bad state right now. Yeah. they're uh, Like I said, they find themselves in the relegation zone after playing at least 15 Premier League matches for the first time since April of 1999. When they actually found themselves in that spot after 32 matches. We should mention terrifying. Oh my god! We should mention that. Firstly, Everton being in the relegation spot was where they were in the mid '90s. So imagine fans who've gone through that, saw the Moyes years, saw the resurgence, and then they're back to this. It must be hard to take, especially considering the new ownership and everything that's gone with that. Um, we should mention how Klopp played his hand perfectly. He needed to get minutes in for guys like Shakiri who I hope Shakiri's form blossoms like his hair has. Have you noticed his hair? No, actually. It's very fulsome. Uh, I'll look again. Yeah. Look at him six months ago and look at the hair now. He's had a bit of a David Silva regeneration, but whatever. He was very good um, getting minutes in for Lalana, just shuffling the pack and allowing guys to rest ahead of a busy period. Yeah. I can't believe the Derby was the place that this would happen. Well, it happened to be a Derby, but... I think it's more because it was a midweek game. Like, I think this could have been any game. And and look, here's the other thing about it. Jurgen Klopp, this is going to sound really arrogant, but Jurgen Klopp is 100% right when he said what it is that he said after this game. When he was asked about it, he said, we did it because we can do it. Like, How many goals in big moments does Divock Origi have to score before we can see him in their starting 11 and not think of it as and a what controversial if, decision? And also, what a finish. That yeah, is, I mean, his that first, first touch was incredible. Yeah, and like he's he's now done this. He scored in a Champions League final. He scored huge goals uh, in a Champions League semifinal does, against Barcelona. It's not crazy to see him out there against Everton. I, it still shocks me that he comes up with these. He's a he is the David Fairclough of this era for Liverpool, where he scores big goals in big games, but generally he wouldn't make your starting eleven. He's just that player. It's yeah, amazing I, to me. I don't think he's going to go he's, out and he's score. He's kind of the definition of a superstar. He's not going to score 15, 20 goals a season. He's just not going to do it. But when he scores, it will matter. And he, I think his composure, his composure last night was, was brilliant yeah. in front of goal. Yeah, so I, like, I don't even see it as a big deal anymore. When they just, And by the way, like, okay, they made five changes. We mentioned Origi, who I don't even look at as like that much of a downgrade. Mm. Um, you know, but like, you know, they still played with their all-world fullbacks. Yeah. And... and Virgil van Dijk and Sadio Mane, who I also wanted to talk about because I think I now look at him as as being the best player on that team, with the possible exception of van Dijk. But I, I should say the best attacker on that team because he has added an I element. I don't think that's crazy. No, I don't think so either, uh, which is why I'm saying it. Because uh, he's added an element to his game that I don't think has been there in quite the way it is now, which is a general playmaking ability. I think he has four assists now. Yeah. I think he only had one last year, which is a low bar. That but that pass for the for the first goal, yeah, was sublime, yeah, was perfect. perfectly weighted, and, and then the second goal as well. Like yeah. the way he set that up. So after taking an incredible 
pass from Trent Alexander-Arnold. Which In stride, we, Which yeah. we've now just kind of grown accustomed to him being able to do that routinely. That's what that's like just the classic Liverpool goal. Um but for Sadio Mane to now not just be a goal scorer, he did score in this game too. Probably should have had more. But like to just be a general playmaker for everyone around him, I really think he's the biggest threat going forward of anyone on that team. We should probably play that second goal where he's absolutely crucial in setting it up. Now there's space ahead of Alexander-Arnold, who speared it for Mane. What a pass that is. Sidibase in reverse. Mane's forcing him back. Sadio Mane. Shakiri too! So smooth, so sweet, splendid, succinct Liverpool football. Really was. They're a joy to watch right now. An absolute joy when they're in that kind of mood. Yeah. It's uh, it's hard for me not to gloat. <laughs> no, it's not. Well, no. Well, well, what I they, score? they scored four on five shots in the first half. Was that right? Yeah. I mean, they're so efficient. Um, yeah. And you're right. It could have been... It really could have been more. Everton were probably fortunate for it to only have been what it was. Yeah, bad times for one Liverpool club. Um, truly amazing times for the other. 32 unbeaten for Liverpool now. Uh, this is it's crazy. This is just a casual stroll to the finish line. Hope so. Not sure. Not sure, huh? Yeah, life is a way of throwing curveballs. Hmm. A baseball man once told me. What baseball man? No um, one. No one ever said that. Buck to you. Shawwalter, me and Buck were having a beer one night, and he said, "JJ, life throws you curveballs." And I said, "Buck, you're drunk." Wow. Uh, let's see. Can we continue, or do you have more gloating that you'd like to? do? No, I don't. And also, I have n- like Everton because I didn't grow up in the city, and do you? Want, I should make an admission right now. Mm-hmm. So, back in the day, in the nineties and in the eighties, you could write away to professional clubs for trials. Now, usually you would have a supporting letter from your schoolboy club and you would be a player of note if you were going to pick up a trial. But often, you know, maybe you would be offered a trial if you could send videotape or something. I wrote my letter when I was 10 years of age. Guess who I wrote to? I wrote to two clubs in the the Premier League. Nope. I looked at it and I thought, I'm never getting into the Liverpool squad. I never even thought about being a youth player. I thought about, well, there's no spaces for me in the senior team at 10 years of age. I've got to lower my expectations. So I wrote to two clubs. Uh, You're going to make me guess? Go. Very easy guesses. Well, Tottenham? Tottenham Hotspur. (laughs) And so they were of a standard where you could slot right in at 10 and years Everton. old. That's nice. So I wrote the letter probably in crayon or pencil. I think, uh, no, I wrote it in pen. And I sent them away. And Everton, this, I don't think this would happen these days. Everton sent me back this he- unheaded no- club notepaper, this lovely letter saying thank you for your interest in playing for Everton Football Club. Unfortunately, at this moment in time, we have our full av- allocation of youth players. We wish you the very best in your in your pursuit of a career in football. Signed by the club secretary. I was like, oh, that's amazing. And Tottenham did the exact same thing, except Tottenham's was one line. We're not accepting trialists at this moment. <laughs> They were very businesslike. <laughs> very businesslike. Yeah. But they, ever- thought they took it seriously. Oh, it was amazing. So I have those two letters somewhere at home, or I think my mum threw them out when I was in college, which really breaks my heart. So, yeah. I just think it's good that you were forced to deal with rejection early. A 10. <laughs> uh, let's see. We continue now. Manchester United hand Josie Mourinho his first defeat as Tottenham 
manager. Frustrating for Spurs because, not because they didn't deserve to lose. Manchester United were clearly, clearly the better team on That's this That's a day. worry. Um, there's no question about that. Uh, it's only frustrating because of the two goals that were actually scored. Like the the first Marcus Rashford goal, while a good strike by him, um, was a very. If you look at the like the XG, the expected goals chart on specific goals, yeah, it was a very low XG goal that was scored, and, and especially when you factor in the fact that Gazaniga got a hand to it. Can I make a case for Gazaniga there? Okay, that you are so right. That's a low XG goal. You shouldn't be beating at your post low like that. But the skip, if you look at where it skips up off the turf at the last minute, that is a nightmare for goalkeepers. I know, but strong wrists, hands of stone, hands of oak. Yeah, I, mean, I know. I know what you're and saying. Gazaniga's done a good job filling in, but he has yielded a few of those, which against a good team you can't afford to do. And and then the second goal. I mean, look, Aurier getting absolutely roasted by Rashford was one thing it was that was a beautiful part of it but then like the Sissoko penalty and I know it went to VAR and to me like it was handled correctly it was inconclusive it was ruled a penalty on the field and I think it had to remain that way and it was just it was I'm gonna go under the assumption if I'm wrong then I'll apologize to Musa Sissoko at the first opportunity that I get but like I'm going to go under the assumption that he did step on Rashford's foot, and if he did, it's brainless. Because where's Rashford going? He's at full speed, and he's a yard from the end and line. If you watch the way the ball ran, he probably wouldn't have made that. Right. So, like, just general awareness. And I can't kill Sissoko for it because I think sometimes he's making up for some of Serge Aurier's issues defensively, and I think Sissoko is being asked to do some things that maybe he's not necessarily responsible for. But like, just general awareness and it cost them you know it's, it cost them three points in a situation where they they really really could have used even just one point there but props to united really props to rashford uh he was sensational i think only gunner solskjaer said it was the best game he's seen him play um probably could have had more gazaniga flicked one up onto the crossbar that rashford hit beautifully from about 25 yards that was out a great strike he was it was a man of the match performance uh an undeniable one and um, huge, huge for United as they now prepare to face Manchester City. Can I read something to you quickly? Because yeah. I want your take on it. Obviously, I didn't get to see all of that game. I, I only saw highlights later on, um, so I can't really get a, a feel for it. Daniel Story wrote this on Football 365. But lads, Tottenham, that was as bad as anything produced in the final throws of Maurizio Pochettino's reign. They were bereft of ideas and dependent on individual inspiration instead of any clearly devised attacking plan. No teammate created a chance for another until Lucas Moura laid on Hyun Min Son's 52nd minute effort. The truth is that this defeat was no more down to Mourinho than the three victories that preceded it. The mystical bounce engendered by managerial change effectively boiled down to superior finishing, a facet impossible to coach in two weeks. Look, anyone that thought that this new manager would show up and instantly cure whatever was wrong with this club is that's delusional Mm. um so you know yeah part of it is new manager bounce part of it i think was players who were underachieving for whatever reason under a previous manager i think it's a little bit unfair to just say any of the success of the past three games is down to just a new manager bounce um you know he he said it's not down to that he said it's that's what i meant but like look part of it too is quality of opponent like you can say what you want about Manchester United, but I think they're establishing themselves right now as one of the best four teams in the in England. That would mean having to knock one of the current top four out. 
Well, okay, they're not better than Liverpool. They're not better than Leicester. United, establishing not, themselves. Not better than City. And I guess it could come down to maybe Chelsea or United for who you think is fourth best. I, I, you've lost me here. Okay, so who are you? Who are your United right now? Better than like Leicester? Better? No, than... I didn't. What did I just say? Right. I said they're not better than Liverpool, what, Leicester, what, no, City, and then I think at some point we'll find out if there's some sort of. You think they're? You think they're progressing under Solskjaer? You think they're going in? A... Well, all right, maybe. No, I'm maybe not. It's no, just, no, no, I don't know because a lot of people think that. Uh, there's plenty of people who think that the the youth he's bringing in and down the line everything will reap rewards. I'm not quite. I'm just asking. Is that what you're saying? No, I don't think I would go that far to say that, but I do think so. Tottenham should be beating them then. No, so, but I'm not willing. But that's not what I'm saying either. I think that's the point that I'm trying to make in this that they're much clunky of, fashion, much of a muchness between them. Well, that they're yeah, kind like, of both in the same boat. Two weeks ago, Tottenham were an utter disaster. So is it like that nuts to think that Spurs would go into would change managers, but everything else remains the same? Go into Old Trafford and struggle. By the way, only lose by one. Like, I think the general feeling, considering the way Aston Villa played at Old Trafford, the general feeling coming out of last weekend was that this United project is going nowhere and that they're in trouble. Now, there are the people, like I said, that believe that Solskjaer is doing a good job in terms of integrating the youth. I I think most people yesterday expected Tottenham to go in there and do a job on them, and they didn't. I don't know who. If that's the way you felt, that's one thing, but that is... Me personally going into that game, never. You didn't uh, think they to do a job on them? I mean, win, no. win. I mean, like even under the best of times, Tottenham have had a hard time going to Old Trafford, okay, and, and winning. Um, I don't know. So, I, f- I, f- I felt, no, I no, felt that, for that to have been the expectation. I I felt that. Here's what I felt: Sh- a manager on such shaky ground, complete lack of confidence, even in his press conferences, the team teetering on the edge. I thought that Mourinho with his like swagger and brigado and that what he'd done with the team so far in terms of winning games would march back into his old stomping ground and, like I said, do a job on them. Uh, That's what I I would say two things in response to that. One, if there was ever going to be a game that United would get up for, it would be facing their previous manager at home. I think Mourinho would be somebody that would inspire United to come out and and really kind of want to show him, you know, okay. that we're better than whatever it is. See, he said I, I don't out. know. And then the other thing that I I would want to say about this, and I don't have the stats in front of me, but we've talked about how the the metrics, like kind of the the exact opposite of what we've said about Arsenal last year, where when they went on that unbeaten run, the metrics didn't support the fact that they were actually that good. Whereas with United, the metrics support the fact that they are probably better than some of the bad luck that has gone against them. Uh, so like, whether or not you want to say that's a sign of improvement under this manager, I don't know, because the results are what they are. But I, I also don't think that United are as bad as maybe what okay. their point total would say. Um, plus, like getting McTom- McTominay was huge yesterday for them, and he's coming back from injury now. And Solskjaer talked about how he's he will, him returning and playing like that, he's going to become undroppable for them. Um, you know, that was a different Fred that we saw yesterday. Whether that's a one-off or whether or not he's actually going to become a good player for them, they haven't even really had a chance to play with Paul Pogba, who's really their best player, mm. him or Rashford. So, like, I'm not, no, I, no, I'm not as down on United as, as maybe you or probably the majority of people watching them are. Um, How good was that Deli Alley goal? 
So I think it's his second best goal that he's ever scored behind the the one he scored against Crystal Palace, which was just amazing. Yeah, um, but if you're somebody who thought it was better than that, I I wouldn't fight you too hard on it. Taking Wambasaka and Young out of the game and then turning and on the half volley beating and an advancing to here was for a ball to come down from that height. Yeah, and, and for you to hit it in close quarters as perfectly as he did, like just strong enough to get it away from the defenders, but not too strong that the keeper, that De Gea can rush out and get it in time and then still have the composure to kind of like flick it in over the keeper. It was um, it was a brilliant goal and it's a sign of the form that he's in right now because he's, he's on another planet since Mourinho has come in. Well, that's, that's definite. He's, he's picked up he's his game. so clearly their best player right now. Yeah, for sure. Um, which is which is huge. Unfortunately, uh, I tried to enjoy in that goal with you. Oh, here we go. And I just I can't I can't anymore with you. Do you really want to go down this road? No, but I want. But you're going to go. But I just want to say my piece. Okay. Because I. So I don't get to say mine. No, absolutely not. Right. Uh, he scored that goal, and I texted you. I said. In all caps, because I was just so happy and excited and just trying to live my best life. I said, <laughs> Deli Alley is on another planet right now. Yeah. You write back, a goal for the ages. Which is, and I thought, oh, he's actually fulsome. Look, at, look praise. at JJ and I actually having a moment together. That is then immediately followed by a solitary text message that says, but. And I thought, oh, here we go. Here we go. VAR is pissing on the moment. Ugh, I hate it. And I just, yeah. I, I can't, endless, I can't endless replays of a handball that wasn't there. I mean, I don't, I, I, like, I can't convince you how this affects fans in the stadium. Pass, and we're seeing the effect it has on players now with their non celebrations, waiting for for the call to be given that the goal is green lighted. I can't. I guess I'm just going to put it down because I don't want to be mean or nasty, and I don't want to. I don't want to like try and push my views on you. I'm going to put it down to that delays in U.S. sport are so prevalent that you just don't care nor don't notice in soccer. And I would say to you that no one celebrated that goal differently. Like I keep hearing that people aren't celebrating goals. I'm not seeing that. It, the away end was deafening when he scored that goal. It didn't sound like anybody supporting Tottenham yesterday so cheered that goal any differently than in a pre-VAR world. Yeah. And look, they looked at... like To me, that was the example of how it's supposed to work. It was really close. There's part of me that thinks he might have actually used his arm inadvertently, but we know what the rule is. Any part of the arm that's used to score a goal, then it's taken off. So it was looked at. It was inconclusive. So they went with what was on the field. I didn't think it was that overbearing in how long they looked I at it. I thought it was, I well, thought it was you, incredible. you think if it's 15 seconds, it's too long. Here's where I am with you. You know how much I love Band of Brothers. I can almost recite the series by heart. <laughs> but there's a scene when one of the characters, Cobb, Private Cobb, He's he's had it. It's near the end, right? And he's just had it, and he's going on and on. Is this where they're on and on the edge of the it's river? It's after the patrol. It's the episode where they they go on patrol, and it's like an unnecessary patrol, and a and a, another member of their platoon has just died, right? And they're just like, and he's like, they all know conditions like this sucks. You know, the the conditions are bad for everyone, but this this exchange happens. Are you drunk trooper? Leave me alone. Answer the question. Yes, sir, I am drunk, sir. 
Drunk. Sick and tired of patrols. Taking orders. Hey, come. Shut up. It's boring, okay? That's your cop, and I'm Martin. Sergeant Martin, who says that to him. That's where we're at now. Like, yeah, I, I came on this show a few weeks ago. And I said, yeah, there's problems with it. Like, we all get that. No, you don't. We all get you that. You don't get But, like, you, it's, it's your continuous moaning. When we've all come to the realization that there, there are issues, yeah, sure. But, like, even when it's used in a proper way, the moaning continues. And I just, I, I'm going to block our account. I can't see your tweets anymore. I can't do it. The moaning. Like, well, I texted you, so what are you, what are you talking about? But I saw your tweets also. Yeah, but you saw the text first. And then I was on Twitter I think and you, you basically I, repeated it. I think you moaning about me moaning is way worse than the actual <laughs> original moaning. I will moaning. not let you spin this. No, you. Uh, I'm not stopping. I have principles. Yeah, we're all aware of what they are. Like, who who are you trying to, like, whose mind are you trying to change at this point? I don't know. I'm just glad you brought some flavor to this conversation. We haven't really had a Band of Brothers VAR discussion. Oh. Um, anything else from uh, from yesterday? I, I guess I wanted to at least mention... <laughs> City, for, first of all, City debunked the idea of, uh, you know, being a top side and Burnley being a tough place to go to as they absolutely rans- uh, yeah, ransacked them. What a goal. From, if we're going to talk about great goals, I thought Gabriel Jesus is... From, that he just sort of like and Rodri bent had a good, around. Rodri had a good goal too. Oh, Jesus's goal was yeah, te- yeah, that was a brilliant goal and a much needed goal for him. I would think after the weekend as well, where he would probably feel he should have scored the winner. Yeah, he played well. He scored a couple. Um, I haven't seen. Maybe you have, but uh, I have not seen anything indicating that Aguero will be back for the derby this weekend. No, I don't think so. I know when the when the injury initially happened, Pep had said it would take a miracle for Aguero to be ready for. The United game, so I'm going to go under the assumption, especially with Jesus, Jesus playing as well as he did midweek, that it'll be him again. Uh, Palace grinding out a win against Bournemouth was was interesting and expected because Palace are, I don't know, Roy Hodgson. You can say what you like, the job he's done there, and I, I will talk more about it next week. We don't have time, but it has been pretty phenomenal. Uh, Wolves beating West Ham. You'd never think West Ham are going to put two back-to-back results going, kind of showing what an aberration the weekend was. And I don't know how Pellegrini survives the the mood amongst the natives in East London is not good. <laughs> yeah. And um, Lampard, Chelsea beat Aston Villa two one, and Lampard talking about Christian Pulisic was was pretty interesting too. Yeah, yeah, really impressed. I think he's playing really well since he got, got himself in the team. Um, at Burnley he gets his goals he's carried on with the form he's scoring um, he can score more I think well, what we've got a player in Christian is, is someone that's really exciting us but when you see this type of player um, I think over the last in the modern days you see them and you see their quality and then all of a sudden you see that there's another level which is goals and absolute assists and I think he's got all the abilities to go on to that extra level which is the top level of, of world football but at the minute he's, he's doing really well and hopefully that'll be the next part of the progression Imagine, Andrew, if he does the Mo Salah method at Roma. So Mo Salah wanted to work on his finishing outside of training all the time, dedicate himself to it. So he built, he I won't say he built a pitch, but he expanded his backyard and put a goal in and used to pay youth team goalkeepers to come around to his house and practice his, practice his finishing. If Pulisic adds that to his game, Lampard is 100% correct. I saw... The guy who we've talked about before, Arthur Kogan on Twitter, who oh I, th- I think he's the only one who loves Pulisic more than you and I do. But it wasn't actually his video, but I think he either liked it or, or retweeted it. But there's a, a basically a highlight reel video of Pulisic from 
this game. Now, look, some of the highlights that they take are are pushing the limits of the sure. highlight. Well, yeah, <laughs> like, but definitely, yeah. But like, you you do see the one thing that I take away from watching it when you do see these clips one after another after another is I think for me what's becoming the most admirable trait in Pulisic's game is that he's always looking to push play forward. Yes. There's not much lateral movement. It's get the ball and then turn up field, whether it be a quick pass uh, or himself just taking it and driving at defenders. And, and the positions he finds himself in are always advantageous towards getting shots off or creating something in front of the goal. It's it's very, very good. It's funny how Twitter makes you, after all these years watching the game, makes you think, oh, I don't, maybe I'm not seeing, maybe I'm not getting this. Because mm-hmm. after the Norwich game earlier in the season... I thought he had a really fine game and should have had, he had an assist and should have had a couple of goals in that game. And afterwards, oh, Pulisic, kind of worrying. All the tweets. You're like, am I watching the same game? Right. It's good for Frank to come and validate my feelings. Yeah. <laughs> it's nice of the manager to validate <laughs> yeah. your feelings. And one other thing I did want to mention. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, we were talking about the Southampton Arsenal game. And I sat here and I was so angry. I said, how are Southampton not scoring more goals? Look at the chances they're getting. And, and you then said, well, this is what we've always said about them. They just, they don't have finishers. That's always been their problem. Uh, well, like just as soon as we said that, Danny Ings has now decided to become that guy. Uh, I think it's now four straight games that he scored in. And he's someone that I would say I'm pretty happy for with the, his injury past. Got the chance at a big club, uh, whether it be out of talent or lack of opportunity or injury. Uh, never really was able to make any mark at Liverpool. You weren't sure where his career was headed. Now he's at Southampton, and now it looks like he's rounding back into the player that Liverpool were interested in in the first place. Maybe it's only temporary, but if it is, I'm at least happy for him in this moment. I'm very happy for him, and even though he's no longer at Liverpool, every time he gets the ball and he's running for a 50-50 ball or something like that when I'm watching Southampton, I am crossing my fingers. He comes out of the tackle okay, because that's really what's held him back. And it's so good to see him score goals. I have a few things that I missed on Monday's pod that I want to go through with you quickly, if that's okay. Well, I'll tell you what. If it's all right with you, how about we take a quick break? No. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm setting the agenda now. No breaks. The floor is yours, you animal. No, let's do the break. We'll take a quick break. When we come back, we got that. And um, a quick what to watch for as well, because there's something from Syria. Ah, unfortunately, not on the field that I want to mention. Oh, no. <laughs> we'll be right back. And back now on Caught Offside. JJ, before we went to break, you said you have some things that you didn't get to earlier in the week. We never mentioned the genius of Jack Grealish's performance against Manchester United at the weekend and the goal that he scored, which was absolutely superb. So uh, Dean Smith, the manager, was talking to 442 about Grealish. And one of the aspects that came up in the conversation was he is the most fouled player in the Premier League. Like, And it, when when you watch games, you're like, Oh, well, he's always on the ground. And he he doesn't dive. It's just his style. He gets on the ball. He takes players on. And the way he protects the ball, he ends up more often than not winning free kicks. So Dean Smith uh, said some interesting things. I expected him to be the most fouled. He protects the ball so well. His balance is exceptional. He's a great ball carrier and he gives defenders problems. It seems to be they want to foul him around the halfway line before he gets any further. We certainly got four or five of them at Old Trafford in the first half. If you watch the last few games he has played for us, you can see he's been at a very high level. Teams will try to stop that. If they foul him further up the pitch, 
then we've got great set-piece routines and great set-piece takers, added Smith. It gives us more of a chance to go and get a goal. He got chinned by a Blues fan, Birmingham supporter, last season. Remember that? We had our special on, on that. We I was about to say, sometimes fans even come out of the stands to foul him. <laughs> exactly. Uh, and that didn't seem to bother him either. He gets whacked all the time, but he just gets on with it. I think he see, they. I think he sees it as a prize that they want to kick him. I know he played Gaelic football growing up as a kid and it's a tough sport. He probably had a few whacks and he's learned how to deal with it. Like he doesn't moan and he doesn't roll around, but he gets so much kick. You wonder at what point do referees... I remember when Maradona was playing, there used to be articles every week in Italy about... we. Well, maybe not in Italy, but in the general media saying we need to protect skillful players more like him rather than having them hacked all the time. So, I mean, that's essentially where the tackle... But the, the game's gone in that direction. Yeah, the tackle from behind has been ruled out. Yeah. Even if you win it, if it's from behind, it's it's a foul. Yeah. So, uh, kind of interesting that. The second thing, I want you to watch a video, Andrew. Okay. It's by Standard Chartered, and it was released this week, right. featuring some Liverpool legends and some... I'll pull it up, and we'll give you the audio. Not that you'll necessarily be able to tell. But... All right, I want you to watch yeah. it. Emotional music. Yeah. Who is that man walking down the tunnel? Oh, look, Bruce Grubbler, Joe Gomez, <laughs> Milner. Oh, there's Milner, yeah. yeah. Jordan Henderson. Ian Rush. All in the uh, Liverpool dressing room together. Bit odd. Bob, you gave me my very first Liverpool shirt, and it changed my career. Oh. It's a privilege to give this shirt in your honour. It's even got your name on it, Bob. Oh. Thank you very much. Oh! It's standard how that we believe we should use technology it's to bring about all. better... Uh, the Bob is... Bob Paisley, who is dead since 1996. That's the most important part. <laughs> uh, the legendary Liverpool manager, who has been CGI'd to reappear and meet with a rather strange collection of, of Liverpool players, some of whom he would have managed and some of whom were not even born. So here's the thing about it. So you don't like this commercial because you find it creepy. I, It's creepy. It's also a bank. A bank appropriating a dead man's legacy. Now, the family... I've seen the video that Sandra Charter did with the family where they get quite emotional. I'd get emotional if someone reanimated a person, a loved one that had died 20 plus years ago. It's very Black Mirror. I don't know if I like it at all. I also, what's the point of it? Standard well, going- Chartered want to bring, like, create holograms. I mean, they're going for some sort of emotional route. Here, right, it doesn't work, linking though. Liverpool's glorious past to their present, uh, Like, and Standard Chartered is trying to be the, the facilitator of all that. Okay. I guess. Or, probably by facilitator, you mean bask in the reflection. I don't find it creepy quite as much as I find the technology troubling. <laughs> Where are we headed? If I could get rid of you and have a CGI guy here, I would do it. It's your dream come true. (laughs) But, like, this, I don't know. I just worry that, like, people's faces can now so easily be placed on other bodies. I don't, I'm afraid of, like, future crimes that I will be framed for, probably with you at the center. You are way too bland for crimes. (laughs) Violations. 
parking violation. So you think somebody will go to the length of CGIing my face on someone else's body so they can like stay stay past a meter by fifteen minutes? <laughs> yeah, uh, I don't know. I, I I don't I don't know if I found it quite as creepy. I just found it. It's a little odd. It's odd, and yeah. it's odd to see the reaction of the players too. You know, well, it's not great act. Jordan Henderson, it's not his best work. What about James Miller, like gurning in the background, and Joe Gomez genuinely just there. Joe Gomez has the appropriate reaction to see a dead man walking into a locker room. What? <laughs> um, any other observations from earlier in the week? Uh, yes. So. A couple of people asked us, have we seen this yet? I don't know where I would watch it, but Barcelona, uh, Match Day it's called, Inside FC Barcelona, is the new official documentary series produced by the team's own Barca Studios and dis- uh, distributed by their sponsor, Rakuten. So we've had the Sunderland Till I Die. We've had Manchester City, which was voiced by Sir Ben Kingsley. We've had Leeds United's one, which was voiced by... What's the name of the actor from Gladiator? Russell Crowe. Russell Crowe. And this is voiced by John Malkovich, which I thought was a strange one. Now, I've actually watched the clip of it, Andrew, and here is John Malkovich, who is narrating and translating Messi's halftime speech. Messi's halftime speech at Anfield when they were losing and looked like they were going to blow it like they blew it against Roma last season. Could this all be coincidence? Perhaps. Then someone went and tied a rope to our plane. So I ask you, what is going on? Wow, wow that's intense. Messi. <laughs> yeah. John Malkovich. I don't know what the These metaphor are is weird. of the airplane. I, I was working with the best I could. Ha- that's from Con Air. Oh, you fooled me. That's not actually messy. <laughs> What's your favorite John Malkovich role? See, if I want to be a D-nozzle, okay. and I'm, I'm swirling my wine now and trying to be pretentious, I would say, oh, he's wonderful, darling, in um, Dangerous Liaisons. But literally my favorite role of him is, uh, is in Con Air. <laughs> Cyrus the Virus. I don't know. I, I always, I think they just got him perfect in uh, in the line of fire. Just the right blend of creepy, yeah. angry. He is a weird villain. He's a weird dude. Yeah. Why is he voicing the Barcelona documentary? Boy, his filmography it just goes on for days. Is Burn After Reading good? So I saw it once. There are people who love it, who mm. just love that kind of humor. I thought it was fine. I don't. I'm not mad. I saw it. I wouldn't see it again. It. You know, it's a movie that happened as far as I'm concerned. Okay. One thing I wanted to mention, JJ, from earlier in the week, we kind of casually mentioned the Ballon d'Or uh, on Monday, but we didn't actually know who won yet. Um, we were just kind of hinting that Messi would, and he did. But I wanted to mention Megan Rapino. now that we know she did, in fact, win. So congratulations to her. Yes. Um, obviously, World Cup winner, uh, scored six goals at the 2019 World Cup, four of which were go-ahead goals. Uh, three of which it does bear mentioning were from the penalty spot. But nevertheless, uh, she appeared to, well, I don't know. I, I kind of came away from that tournament thinking Rose Lavelle was the U.S.'s best player, but Megan Rapino was certainly uh, the really most important In terms player. of the goals, yeah. yeah. Um, so congratulations to her. Also won FIFA's award for the best female player earlier this season. Um, so uh, obviously we're happy when we see Americans take home prominent awards such as this so congratulations to megan rapino certainly two more things first thing sheffield wednesday 
they are in dire trouble, Andrew. They look as if they they could potentially be relegated by the EFL or docked 20 points, which would leave them in the bottom and fighting for their lives in the championship. So, basically, according to The Athletic, the charge against them is that a misconduct charge in the way that they dealt or reported to the EFL that they'd sold their stadium. So, apparently, owners now sell their stadiums from the club to themselves as a means of moving money or staying within the financial boundaries of the Football League. So this is from The Athletic. Wednesday lost nearly twenty, nearly 10 million in 2015-2016, just over 20 million in 2016-17, and we're heading for a pre-tax loss of around 35 million in 17-18 until they, like Aston Villa, Derby and Reading, took advantage of a loophole that allows clubs' owners to sell their stadiums or training grounds to themselves to bank a one-off profit that can be used to offset losses elsewhere. Wednesday did this by selling their ground to Shansiri, the owner, for $60 million, with an official profit on the transaction of $38 million. Now, you cannot, in the Football League, lose... Uh, there's a threshold. You cannot lose more than a certain amount of money every season right. or else you're in trouble. And Wednesday used this transaction to make sure they stayed within that boundary. But apparently the timing in which they reported it to the EFL is causing some problems and they could be, one of the sanctions against them could be automatic relegation, which is brutal. Brutal. And history changing, like whatever their future is, like could be dramatically altered by that decision. And when you see what's happened in the Football League with Bury and Bolton already this year, it's it's pretty grim what's going on down there. And finally, um, the Scottish League Cup final on Sunday... It's Rangers v Celtic at Hamden Park. How early is their League, say, League Cup final? Yeah, um, with Rangers just two points behind Celtic in the table, they drew yesterday, I think, against Aberdeen, which was, I mean, a hammer blow. It would have put them top. Yeah, um, I did see the. There, I mean, the result is the result, but I think there was there was some really bad call where the official did, a, I think, apologize to Stephen Gerrard. Oh really? After. Oh boy. But, um, but this feels like a massive one in the rejuvenation of Rangers. This is like the sliding doors moment. Should Rangers win and beat Celtic at Hampden Park on Sunday, does that change the trajectory of things now? Does that tip Maybe. the balance in oh, the old firm? I would, ask, re- I would ask you, though, would you not say that Rangers have kind of already been rejuvenated? I mean, I know Celtics still kind of own that league, but just the fact that Rangers so quickly went from where they were to just being, to like getting right back to being Celtics' primary challenger. Yeah, but not, but they've never been close. There's never been a close title race. And yeah. I feel like this season it could go to the wire. I know it's early, but Rangers look way better than they have in previous seasons. Yeah. Uh, one other thing for me before we do the quick what to watch for, I uh, just wanted to say we're still uh, about a week and a half or so away from El Clasico, um, which I think you'd have to say right now um, would be the biggest game of the year so far across Europe with Barcelona and Real Madrid tied on points atop mm. La Liga and Sevilla, Sociedad, Bilbao, Madrid kind of all nipping at their heels. Uh, but... Some not great news for Real Madrid as uh, Eden Hazard, Gareth Bale, and Marcelo are all hurt, have all recently gotten hurt, and some are saying are a doubt for that game. There's still a game before that um, for each team, but I think a lot of people are already looking ahead to just how big that game is, and those are three potentially key players that uh, Real Madrid could be without. Yeah, someone sent us a video of Bale warming up in a recent game, and he's just laughing because he's getting jeered. I'm like... 
and they asked us, "What do we think of this?" I'm like, "What else is he going to do? What's the right reaction?" There, there is no. He can do he nothing. To cry? Right. Should he just be stone? I guess stone faced would be the way to go. I don't know. He's in that. He's now in that position where, like, whatever he does, he's going to be criticized for it. Quick, what to watch for? Yes. All right. Uh, Syria off Friday, two forty-five. Inter versus Roma. Uh, a huge game, but unfortunately, it's more off the field nonsense that has kind of clouded this one um carrera carrera de la sport um the publication in italy their headline for this match read black friday and was accompanied by photos of romelu lukaku and chris smalling um jesus christ i mean just the the word that comes to mind for me is just tone deaf um this is getting so tiresome. It is. Uh, the the newspaper, they tried to defend it in a statement saying, white, blacks, yellows, to negate every difference is the typical massive error of the, quote, racism of the anti-racisms, said the editorial. Oh, that, that makes sense. That's good. Go run with that. They continued, the mental rabble of those casual moralists. Black no. Friday, for those who want and can understand it, it was only a way to celebrate diversity. If you don't understand, it is because you can't or you don't want to understand. That is the Italian version of what we have in this country and in the United Kingdom of if you say something offensive, then going, oh, what? it's political correctness gone mad. No, no, it's just being a little bit thoughtful and careful about what you say when it, as regards to other people. I think they thought, I'm almost uncomfortable even trying to speak for them and get in their head. But I think they thought that it worked, uh, that it would that in some warped way it was actually promoting like the beauty of diversity. But I don't think it but I don't think it was executed in quite that that it's a that it's a Friday highlighting these two guys who have been great players for their clubs and highlighting their race. I think is oh, no. is probably the me- – in reading their statement, that I think is what they're trying to say. And I think if that is what they were going for, it doesn't come off. And we're in a time right now specifically in Italian football where that's just, that's just not going to be the way that it's read. And I think they needed to know better than that. Um, and so once again, I mean, I don't know, man. We're getting to a point where you just wonder like, it's, it's, are, are players of color going to want to continue to be going to play for Italian clubs? Like, I feel like like that's something that I, if it were me, it's something that I would have to consider. Well, considering this week as well, we heard more comments, which I'm I'm not actually going to repeat them by the Brescia owner about Balotelli. It's every week coming out of Italy. If you can if you can earn the same money somewhere, like I can't. I shouldn't even mention money. Why would you debase yourself by going there right now? Inter right now, I do want to at least mention something about the game. Inter are actually top. They have passed Juve yes. uh, by a point, 37 points to 36. What a season it's been for Inter. 12 wins in 14 games, a draw, a loss to go along with that. And they've scored some really nice goals too along the way. Yeah. Uh, and meanwhile, the team they're facing, Roma, are currently fifth uh, on 28 points, tied with Cagliari, uh, and two back of Lazio. So... Certainly a lot on the line. I mean, there's still a lot to go, but you know, a lot on the line for Champions League places if you're looking ahead to that. And for Inter, a, a true title race in this league, which typically has been Juve's to lose. Well, not typically, has been Juve's to lose with Napoli as the primary contender. And, Napoli are seventh. And I think Conte is going to get that name then if he can if he can pull this off. Imagine if Inter win. Conte will be your, I'm a team that's eh, in around the top. I need a manager that's going to come in and get me a league. 
He's going to be your league win fixer. We've got the relegation fixers. We got the league winning fixers. Yeah. Look what he did at Chelsea. Yeah, you're right. Uh, quick EPL Saturday, 7.30 a.m. Everton and Chelsea. God, it's just like the hits just keep on coming. This gauntlet that Everton are in the midst of right now. Um, oh, yeah, and they got Liverpool in the cup, we should mention. <laughs> yeah, the third round of the FA Cup. Uh, what a conflict for all the American Everton fans as they will now have to watch Christian Pulisic do his thing against them. Uh, who will be managing that for Everton remains to be seen. David I, Moyes. I'm assuming right now. Is that your prediction? I think uh, David Moyes will. You think he'll come in right away? I don't. I think now it's Thursday at one o'clock. Well, well they're having the meeting right now. But I'm so. saying, but like even well, even if they announce him, I still don't know if he'll come in right away and be on on uh, on the sidelines. When's he going to come in? After at least give him like a full week. To be with his his team rather than a day to prepare gonna, for Chelsea. He's going to pop out of a box at the training ground. Surprise! Uh, also Saturday, twelve thirty, Manchester City and Manchester United. That is your marquee match of the weekend. United looking to keep the momentum rolling from their win over Tottenham. Uh, City the same over uh, with what they did to Burnley, and then haven't mentioned Arsenal um, just because we actually don't know what's happened in their game yet. They play later today, uh, but Monday at three o'clock they do face West Ham. Um, in, in, what has also, in what has also been a really difficult stretch for for the Hammers as well. Um, I mean, it's Pellegrini, Silva, Silva probably before Pellegrini can't really afford. I think Pellegrini bought himself some time with the Chelsea win, but... Yeah. Uh, so there you go. That's about all I have for today. There was one other thing. I don't think I'm going to mention it, but there, I just finished binge-watching a, a show yes. that you and I both... <laughs> so many feelings about the final episode, but... I can't say them in front of you. Do you want me to walk out the room? I almost, I kind of do. All right, I'm going to because I just need to vent this to somebody. All right, okay. I'm. I'm going to actually get up and leave. Going to walk, walk out. Say what you got to say. Vent to the people. Are you? You're going in the control room. Yeah. Tell me if you can hear me still in there. I don't know if the volume's up. Now I'm talking. Can I you? Can hear you. So I'm going to. Oh, go he's going to actually have to leave and go all the way down the hallway. Because um, what I have to say, it's not even necessarily a commentary just about this show, but it's about a philosophy from uh, writers or creators, showrunners, whoever it is that comes come up with storylines. Um, and here is the message that I have to these people. When you leave the ending of your show with something open-ended that is supposed to be left to some sort of viewer interpretation, I am here speaking on behalf of viewers everywhere, and I am here to tell you, we don't want that. We don't want viewer interpretation. When we invest this many hours in a thought-provoking show that is building towards some sort of intriguing finality, we want the finality. We want the resolution. No more viewer interpretation. I've never met anyone at the end of a series that they've invested hours and years in I've never met anyone who approached the end of that saying, boy, I hope this is left in an open-ended manner. No! Stop doing it. Stop. Please, I'm begging you. All right, come back, JJ. We're good now. I had to get that off of my chest because it's a... I'll stop talking. He's walking back in the room, and he's back in. I can't wait for you to finish. I don't think I said the name of the show. Did you? Because I don't want anyone who... who... Oh, I said it. Oh, you did? Maybe I'll go... We'll bleep it out. Okay, we'll bleep it out. Because I don't want anyone to – to because there could be other people that watch this, but it's just something that I had to say. Uh, well, this show – I can't wait for you to finish. This because, show, I'm three episodes into its final uh, season, and I am enjoying it. Yeah. So 
It's been a slow burner, but I have enjoyed it. Well, the whole series is a slow. It's a slow moving. Well, whatever. All right. Yeah. Uh, Hey, this was fun, man. A little bit of anger from from me mainly towards you. Which is fine. I can take it. I forced us into doing this. Yeah, I guess. I don't know. I, I Maybe we have a photo shoot now, although I emailed Scopin to say it's off. Did you? We'll next week. Seriously? Yeah. yeah. No, legitimate. Oh, my God. <laughs> well, I'm going to go get lunch then if that's the case. Okay. Yeah, it's about that time. Yeah. Hey, this was uh, this was a joyous, joyous I thought it was a good hour. podcast. Yeah, I enjoyed it very much. To you, I, I say. Take you later, fun boy. I'll see you. See you next week on the White Guy Podcast. You've been listening to the Caught Offside Soccer Podcast.